Hello, welcome to the Women in STEM podcast. I am your host, Kelly, and today we'll be discussing about how to get a seat at the table. And today I also have a guest speaker with me. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. My name is Prerika Agarwal, and I am currently a leader in the healthcare technology space. So I work for a management consulting company, and then I also have my own executive coaching company where I help empower women. Wow, that sounds great. And actually, this whole conversation was your idea. You're the one that um, came to me with the idea of how to have a seat, at, how to get a seat at the table. So I'm definitely looking forward to discussing that. But first, I wanted to find out what has been your career path so far? That is such a good question. So, you know, my career path has been varied. When I went to college, my intention was to become a doctor. So I was pre-med, I did a, you know, I had an undergrad in biochem, molecular biology, and like I said, I wanted to become a physician, and then somewhere along the way, I decided it wasn't for me, and so in my last year of college, I decided to switch my major into economics, and then I got onto this business path, and I would say really you know, until I was maybe five or six years into my career, I wasn't really sure what I needed, you know, what I needed to do, what I wanted to do. So I had always heard people talk about, you know, their fancy careers in finance or in corporate, or maybe they were a doctor or lawyer. And so I knew I wanted to do something in that space, but I wasn't sure where. So I tried out a lot of different positions. Um, I started off as a financial analyst and I, you know, built my career up from there. But then at some point I had this realization that I want to go into consulting. And the reason it happened is at one of my employers, we had these consultants come in, you know, from one of the big four companies and their job just seemed amazing because they really got to look at, you know, A to Z, what these companies were doing, make recommendations. And these recommendations were really being taken to heart because sometimes when you're an employee, we all have our suggestions and things that, you know, want to be improved, but the company may or may not take that into consideration. But with consulting, you're actually paying someone to do that, right? You're paying someone to improve your business. And so I decided in that moment that I wanted to be a consultant. And I thought about what's the skill set that I need. So I decided to go to business school, get my MBA, and really build out my capabilities all around finance, accounting, strategy, organizational change management. And um, so right out of school, I was offered an opportunity for a digital transformation consulting role. And this was really like the precipice, I would say, of technology and consulting. And it was so interesting to me because, you know, I never thought of myself as a tech person, but I had to think around strategies of how do you improve businesses and really Fortune 500 operations with the use of technology. So I'm still doing that role. It's evolved and I've moved up, you know, up the career ladder. And and now I'm a director, you know, within digital transformation, which is tech consulting, um, as well as management consulting. And then, um, you know, about three years ago, just before the pandemic, I had this thought that I want to help empower other women. 
And that's when I started my coaching company. Wow, it sounds like you've had quite the career path. So by the sounds of it, was it going in the way that you had expected or were you open to change? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think some parts of it um, were as I expected, especially I would say post MBA, I was really focused on, on joining consulting and that's the path that I'm on, but pre MBA, you know, it really wasn't what I expected because I was in medicine and I was trying different things. Um, and I would say the coaching piece of it was quite unexpected, right? I never thought about myself as a coach before I started my own company. Um, but it's just something that came to me because, I had received coaching about six years ago, and I still do, but that was the first time I received coaching, and it made such a huge difference in the way that I thought about myself, right, and in the results that I could create in my career and my personal life, and so I think that piece was really unexpected to me is, you know, Prerika Agarwal becoming a life coach. Yeah, definitely. And I will definitely have to discuss later on a, a bit about you being a coach. I find that so interesting. And with regards to your career, what has been the biggest obstacles you've faced so far? Yeah, so, you know, if we think about the topic here about getting a seat at the table, I think for women in general, and especially women of color, you know, there's two main challenges. One can be that external challenge of, frankly speaking, in the corporate world, there are most of the team, most of the people in your company are going to be not like you, right? It's going to be a lot of men. Typically, they're not going to be people of color. And so already there's that little bit of that cultural difference, the way you communicate, the way you show up, all of those things are different, right? And that's the external barrier. And they may see you differently as well, right? I think we all have these unconscious biases, right? They're socioeconomic, it could be cultural, it could just be who you're used to seeing. But then we have our internal challenges as well, Kelly. And that's really what I am focused on. That's what I do in my coaching. That's what I do in my corporate life is sometimes we get intimidated because we think, we can't have the seat at the table. And that's the messaging we're getting, right? It's difficult. It's really difficult to be a woman in technology. It's really difficult to be a woman in consulting and be a woman in STEM. And we get the messaging that's really tough for people of color. So sometimes when we hear that, right, it makes it more difficult for us because we're like, this is going to be hard. This is going to be really difficult and I need to do something different. So I would say, you know, for me, it's been learning that lesson and knowing that there are certain circumstances you can't change, but what can I change as an individual? Because yes, corporations need to have ownership of certain things, like having the right, you know, diversity and inclusion programs, having the right training, but as an individual, I actually can impact my career path a lot and be in control. Wow. Yes, I think definitely many of our listeners will be able to list, um, understand feeling like they're, you know, being a woman of color, being in such industries can be such a big obstacle and that can definitely make it feel even worse or make you feel like you have even more pressure. But I also wanted to ask you, when you say, you know, how to get a seat at the table. What do you mean by that? Just so yeah. that this can have a clear understanding of what that means. 
Yeah, such a great question. So this is a term that you may or may not have heard, right, as a listener. But typically when we talk about getting a seat at the table, it is that table of decision makers. And we're typically thinking about corporations, right? And so it's about having representation and it's about having your voice heard so that when key things are being decided, you have inputs into that conversation. Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, you've kind of covered it a little bit with the biggest obstacle aspect, but what are also other things that you've seen most women in STEM make mistakes when going about trying to get a seat at the table? That's such another great question. So one thing I would say is there's no one size fits all. You know, I know that there are a lot of other women, maybe some other coaches, and they advocate for, you know, make sure that your voice is heard. And they translate that into you have to speak up at every meeting, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be seen, you need to be heard. And I frankly think that you have to do what makes you feel most confident and is going to make the most impact. Right. And I think that things are really changing and I don't think you have to be the loudest voice in the room. So what I advocate for is make sure that when you speak up, you are making a point that you feel really strongly about and is going to influence the conversation. Don't speak just for the sake of speaking and don't feel that just because other people may be summarizing the conversation or maybe others are making sure they speak on every conversation that you have to do the same, right? I think having a seat at the table is really about understanding your own personal brand, what your expertise in particular is, and then from that place, making an impact and speaking at the right times, right? And the second thing is, I think more than quantity of how many times you're speaking and all of that, make sure that you're not shying away from opportunities, right? Throughout your career, you will have opportunities to take place in high impact events, maybe conferences, maybe panelist discussions, maybe you're going to be a speaker. And so even though those things might be a little bit scary for you or new or unknown, make sure that you're taking up those opportunities and that is going to expand that space and, you know, quote unquote, get you a seat at that decision-making table. The third thing that I would say is because we're in this context of making decisions, don't be afraid to give your opinion and to decide one way or the other. I think a lot of times we have this tendency and in coaching, we call this people pleasing, right? You want to be, you know, well-respected by your peers. And so you want to be agreeable. You want to say yes to everything that other people are saying, but oftentimes you're going to have to make that hard decision and it may not be what everybody in the group is thinking. And it takes a lot of courage to do this, but if there's something, and again, you have to pick your battles, but if something doesn't feel like it's going in the right way and you have a different opinion, you should really take that time to express that opinion back it up with all the facts and knowledge that you have and be comfortable disagreeing. 
So those are the three big points, I would say, Kelly, in terms of mistakes. And those are some great points. And with regards to getting a seat at the table, is there a particular point in um, one's career when they should be seeking to have a seat, seat at the table? Um, would you still recommend this same advice for somebody that's early in their career or somebody that's been in their career longer? Is it the same um, process? Yeah, so I would say, you know, depending on the career path that you're in and the industry you're in, really what I see as having a seat at the table is when you do start to have those really impactful conversations where whether it's virtually or in person, you're sitting around the table and making a decision. And that time of when in your career that happens is going to vary, right? But I would also say there's no right time to start. If you feel like even if it's been a year or two or less than that, that you've been in your career, but you have something to say, you can start seizing that opportunity. By the same token, if you've been in your career for five years, 10 years, and you still don't feel like it's appropriate for you to do so, you don't feel like you can speak up, you don't feel like you have that voice, I think that it's absolutely fine to hold off. But what I would say to you is ask yourself, question yourself a little bit in terms of what is making you uncomfortable. And going back to what I opened up with, right? Is it something about your external environment? Is it not a place where you feel that your voice can be heard even though you have something to say? Or is it the second piece where maybe despite the time, in your uh, career, maybe you're not feeling as confident about things. Maybe you have that imposter syndrome coming in. And so I encourage you think about what that is so that you can go ahead and solve that problem and that challenge if that's something that you want to do, right? And so really take a look and see, you know, is it about building your confidence? Is it about building your skill that maybe you've been there for a long time, but you still don't feel skilled enough? Or is it about the environment? And either of those things are things that you can change. And so when I think about changing your environment, what I mean is you can absolutely make a decision to leave an environment that doesn't feel like it's supportive and is not allowing you to have a seat at the table. And that basically leads into my next question. What should one do if they're in a company and they are not giving them the opportunity to have a seat at the table? They're not feeling like their voice is being heard. They're not feeling like they're able to have the impact they, that they want to do. So here is what I recommend, right? Really question yourself on whether you have tried and if it is really you know, a case where maybe you've held yourself back or whether it's, you know, actually the environment, right? And if you decide that it's the environment, what I recommend to people is, you know, there is no glory in suffering. You do not have to stay in a career and a role that is making you miserable, where you don't feel seen, where you don't feel heard, right? It doesn't matter if it's been six months, if it's been a year that you've been there, if it's been a day that you've been in that role, if it's not working for you, make a decision and move on. But what I do recommend is that during that time, if you decide to move on, do a little bit of introspection so that the next time around, you know, you have the tools 
to choose the right opportunity for you and to do a little bit more of your homework and research so that you are going into a culture and environment that's supportive, right? We all make mistakes. You know, I don't think it's your fault. I'm not saying that, but I think there are things that we can do as job seekers to influence and be more sure of the companies that we choose. Because remember the interview process, it's two ways. We wanna make sure that just as much as we want that company to like us and see us and choose us and make an offer, we're doing the same with that company. You wanna make sure the company values align. I always recommend to, um, to my coaches to take a look at the executive leadership team to take a look at the folks that have interviewed you. If there's no one that you see that looks and feels like yourself during that interview process, right? Ask yourself, you know, is it just a job role and description and money that I'm really interested in? Or is the culture really vibing? And do I really think that I'll have, you know, a chance to, to be that voice at the table? So that's my recommendation is to, you know, feel free to let go of that role, but do that planning and make sure your next role is as good a fit as it can be. And I mean, you basically covered some of the points of how you can ensure that you're working for a company that will want to voice your opinion. I know um, STEM, women in STEM has become something that's become very popular. And there's been a lot of, you know, companies that are saying that, you know, they're for women in STEM, that they want to give people of color a voice and kind of being able to navigate and understand whether or not this is just a something that they're doing for publicity or if this is something that they're actually doing and are willing to actually see through. So within like your personal career and you getting a seat at the table, how have you been able to differentiate when it's been, you know, a company just wanting to do that for um, PR purposes rather than them wanting to do it for actual change? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And the way that I like to think about it is it is the talk versus the walk, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that these companies are necessarily necessarily doing it for PR, but I think that for most companies, it's very challenging to put some of these things into action. Mm -hmm. And there are some companies that do it really well, but I think in terms of choosing the right opportunities, I think, you know, I have asked companies to sell me on joining them and drawing attention to that particular fact, right? And saying things like, you know, throughout the interview process, I haven't had a chance to speak to any of your women leaders who, you know, where are these women? Is it possible for me to talk with them and understand their experience? And so I've done things like that as well. So don't be afraid to ask for those opportunities and really have a look at the group and the team that you're joining in particular. Because sometimes, you know, the organization may be set up however it is, and the group or the teams that you are joining and working with will have their own dynamic and ecosystem, right? So really understand, don't just interview with people that you may be reporting to, understand who your peers are, understand the people that may be reporting into you and really get to know what that whole ecosystem looks like so you can make the best decision. The other thing you might've noticed, Kelly, is that you know I don't really advocate so much 
for you necessarily trying to be that catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. Because again, once you're in an organization, it is culture is, is something that is so difficult to shift and change that I think a lot of people have this intention of, okay, I want to come into this company and we're going to transform it and make it really inclusive. And it's really tough to do that from the inside out. Right. And so with organizations that actually truly want change and have been successful, it's usually an outside company that will come in and and affect that change. Or you might have a specific council or, or organization that's dedicated to, you know, diversity and inclusion as well as cultural change. And so I really advocate, you know, don't take on a whole separate project for yourself around trying to change the culture. It's really difficult to be successful at that. I'm not saying it can't be done, but, you know, it's really difficult. So just think about what you want from your next role. I think you've definitely hit some nails on the head. I definitely feel like sometimes uh, as women in STEM, as women of color going into certain industries, we feel like we have to become like the spokesperson and we have to, you know, start being the ones to make that change. And there are actually people whose jobs it is to actually do that. And I think the change that we are wanting is not going to be something that happens overnight which I think sometimes that's the reason why when companies are advertising it, it seems like so simple, but it's actually something that will take a process. It will take a while. It, it might even take generations before we're really going to see that process. So I think um, some women in STEM need to understand that this is, it's, uh, you know, this is a marathon. It's not a race. Um, and it's okay if you're not seeing that change straight away. And you shouldn't have to feel like the burden that it's you that has to be the one actively making that change. And with regards to um, getting a seat at the table, having the confidence to give your opinion and, um, you know, making your voice known, was there any um, uh, resources that you used or any, you know, key advice throughout your career that's helped you to gain that confidence? Sure. So the biggest, you know, there, there's a couple of things that I did, but I would say the biggest thing that I did was, again, work on my self-concept and my self-belief, right? What do I think of myself? How do I view myself? And what is that? You know, who is that woman? And so I really started thinking about myself, especially when, you know, I took on, I would say, my last role in this role, that I'm an expert in, you know, digital strategy experiences consulting, and I'm an expert in healthcare, you know, retail, etc. And so when you have a clear picture of what you're an expert in, and you're not trying to be an expert in all things, first of all, it takes the pressure off that I don't have to know every single thing and every single answer, and that you have a team around you that that can support you and may have the, the pieces and the gaps of knowledge that you have, right? Once I declared that to myself, I made sure that I continued to educate myself and stay current with anything that has to do with my field, right? So checking in with peers on what they're doing in the same space, making sure that I'm reading all the news and all the methodologies and tools and really keeping up with innovation in that space so that I do have all the skills and I feel like it's credible and it's making an impact. 
And then the third thing is just all around being confident in who you are and knowing that you have something valuable to say. And a lot of that work and self-confidence came from self-coaching as well as having, you know, coaches around me, but then also having mentors. So I really recommend that you seek out mentors in your same space, whether they work at your company or whether it is like an industry, um, you know, organization that you're part of, but somebody who's in that space, who's maybe further along their journey and can share with you you know, what's important. And it's a little bit of like a check to say, okay, you've, you've been successful, you know, you're here now, what do you do next? And I think all of those things are going to really strengthen your personal brand. And that is what helps you stay at the table, get a seat at the table. And then once you're there, make an impact and an impression. And I know you've touched on it a couple of times already, but you've said that you received coaching and you're also now a coach so um, can you talk about a bit about your experience of receiving coaching and then what it was like for you then to become one sure sure so I started my coaching journey about six years ago that was the first time I received coaching and I started off with leadership and personal development coaching. There's an organization called Landmark. They do it kind of um, workshop style where you've got a lot of people in the room coaching with you. And, you know, I have to say one thing in the beginning, I was actually really, really resistant to coaching because I felt like I've already got a fantastic career. I have an MBA. I know what I'm doing. I'm a really confident woman, but The thing with coaching is that coaching helps you see all of the areas that you may not know are holding you back, right? That is the thing is that you don't know what you don't know. And you think, okay, you've made it this far and you've done so well, and that's good enough. Mm -hmm. But with with coaching, it's about kind of like 5Xing your growth or 10Xing your growth because you're able to identify just certain little things that you're holding back on. So I'll give you an example, actually, just from, you know, this, this past two, two and a half years. And I've been, you know, I've had coaches since then. I have a coach now. And I noticed that I I wasn't showing up, Kelly, on video. So since the pandemic and, you know, we moved to this video conferencing model. And prior to that, you know, any calls that I would have would be video off. And then I would go and meet my clients or my team in person and travel out. And I had no time, you know, no problem meeting people in person, but I always would have my camera off, you know, over the last two years or two and a half years since the pandemic started. And my coach is the one that pointed it out of why do I feel like I have to keep my camera off? And what is that piece? You know, do I feel not good enough? Is there, you know, um, something that I'm being distracted by? Is it just, you know, that I don't want to be seen? I only want to be heard. And so I had to really take a look at something like that of how is that impacting my leadership if I don't want to come on camera and people can't really see my face or understand the passion when I'm speaking about something. And so that is, you know, that's how I see coaching. And that's how coaching has been beneficial to me is to see all the things that I didn't realize were making an impact. And then what 
um, led you to want to become a coach and how has that impacted your life? Yeah. So, and, you know, again, another accidental coaching, uh, excuse me, an accidental career path is when I started receiving coaching and, um, you know, I changed, first of all, a lot of things in my life. I was living in New York City. That's where I'm from. I decided to move to Washington, D.C., and I really started evaluating every area of my life, you know, how I was eating, my health, my career, you know, what was my goal? How quickly did I want to move up through the ranks, the salary I wanted? And I realized that once I was setting these goals, I was able to get to them so quickly. I started making more money and being successful. And so a lot of women within the companies that I worked in would come to me for, you know, mentoring and support of how do you become a leader? What should I be doing? And I found myself giving them the same type of advice of how to move up. And I decided, you know, I don't want to limit this to just being a mentor for my company. I want to help as many women as possible. And so I decided to launch my career coaching company and clients just started signing up. I just had women signing up for coaching. And especially when the pandemic hit, um, I was part of an organization called Riveter. And during that time, so many women had lost their jobs. They had been furloughed. People are feeling lost and confused. I offered 100 free hours of coaching. And just being a coach for people, understanding where their challenges were, understanding where these women were stuck, it was so, so insightful for me. And it was so fulfilling for me to be able to help people. And after those sessions, and those were just one-off sessions, which is not something I still do, but I had women saying, I've been looking for work for six months and I landed a job, or, you know, I got this pay raise, I 3X'd my salary. And to hear that kind of feedback was such positive reinforcement for me that I am a coach and I can do this and I can really make a difference in somebody's life and make them feel good about themselves and show them the confidence that they already had. So that's how I fell into coaching. Wow, that sounds incredibly like impactful and uh, 100 hours, that's amazing. And you helped women double their salaries. Wow, I'm really impressed. And um, another topic that I wanted to ask you about, I know that you've been you've you've as we discussed before you've had a very long career with different paths and stuff like that how have you dealt with rejection and bouncing back from situations that didn't go exactly how you thought they would go that is such another that's another great question so the first thing that I want the listeners to know is sometimes just because of the world that we live in I think especially with social media we only see the good things that are going on in people's lives, right? We don't see all the failure and rejection behind it all. And even without social media, it's not something that people talk about that much, right? People are always like, I got this new job. I got this new offer. You know, this happened, but people don't usually come running to you to say, I got fired or I got terrible feedback at work. And the first thing that I want to do is I want to normalize it, that no matter what level you're in, no matter what role, no matter what industry, 
that failure, that negative circumstances, negative feedback, it is all part and parcel of your career. Because, you know, whether you're in the corporate world or whether you're in your personal life, there's always going to be things that people may not like, right? Things that are maybe not construed the right way, a message isn't given off, or things aren't a fit, right? Think about it in your personal life. You meet so many people. It could be, you know, personally as friends, it could be dating capacity, and they're not a match for you. Or you do get into a relationship with someone, and then you find out it's not a match down the line. And the same thing happens in your career. For whatever reason, you may think it's not a match, the company may not think it's a match, or you may have negative experiences. And I want you to know that it's, it is 100% okay, right? It is nothing about you. It is, does not mean that you're a failure. It does not mean anything bad. It's super, super normal, right? So that's one thing that I want you to, to know. Now, in terms of rejection specifically, right, I think this is more about like applying to opportunities Mm -hmm. um, or not getting, you know, applying for like a promotion and not getting it is, you know, allow yourself to feel down and bad. It's okay. But then once that lifts and you're feeling okay again, evaluate, see what you can learn. Think about it if you're applying to jobs. Maybe is it not the right type of job for you? Maybe it's that your branding and the way you're presenting yourself is not a match for the roles that you're selecting. Maybe it's about your strategy. A lot of people are doing the same thing. They're just applying nonstop to to LinkedIn jobs and it's not working for them. Some people are like, oh, I applied to five jobs and it didn't work. So think about, is it around your branding? Is it about the application process? Or maybe you're applying and you're getting interviews, but then you're not getting the offer. So you need to look at the process that you're doing end to end, look at your strategy, look at your action and look at your mindset as well. Do not forget to look at the way you're thinking about things, because if you're going into the job market and you're saying, oh, I'm too old to make a change and go into technology and it's never going to work for me, you know, that's going to affect the way that you're taking action, whether you think it or not right? It's going to come across in your resume. It's going to come across in the way you speak about yourself and how you position yourself. So take a look at all of those things and use it as a learning point so that the rejection and the failure has a purpose, that it's not just something that happened and you weren't able to learn from it and use that to create success. I think those were some great points and I love the way that you, you know, I, I read a quote recently and it said, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And, you know, I think we're definitely living in an age with social media where people are comparing themselves a lot and definitely only seeing the highlights and that can definitely impact people's mental health. So I wanted to know if you had any advice with just regards to mental health and just to, you know, not feel like you have the weight of the whole world on you just because you are a woman in STEM or you're a woman of color working in an industry? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to get support. And that could look like so many different things for so many people. Mm-hmm. But I would say don't feel like you're alone. And that support could be, you know, literally joining a talk on Clubhouse, it could be reaching out to a friend to a family member. It could be calling a counseling helpline, 
right? It could be speaking to a therapist. It could be getting coaching, but make sure that you're not just trying to shove your emotions down and put on a brave face and be positive because that will serve nobody, right? And just know that you're not alone. So many people at this time are suffering and it's most of the time because they feel like they're the only ones that are going through it. And I want you to know that that is not the case. There are so many people available to support you it's just that they may not know that you're going through something. Yes, that's definitely true. And I think definitely take your mental health seriously. And if you are struggling, reach out, look for support. I think you'll always find people around. And like we've spoken about coaching, mentors, I think these are definitely been people who have um, impacted me in my career but also knowing when to take a break you know I think uh, burnout is been something that I've also discussed about in the past but I think sometimes we can also overwork ourselves and it's very important to have a balance. Absolutely and on the flip side of it Kelly I would say that if you as a person as a human being have capacity if you're doing well if you're available right? Don't hesitate to reach out and check in on your friends mm -hmm. and your family. Just send that text message, you know, ask people, are they doing okay? Is there anything you can do? And you never know, like, what a difference it can make to just reach out to someone. So that's something that I like to do regularly. And it is something, again, you just have, it takes a little bit of practice, but just reaching out regularly to your friend circle, sending them a text, calling them up, and just making sure that the people around you are doing well. Yes, that's definitely important. Um, so do you have any last advice or anything that you would want to add to the conversation that I haven't already covered? You have been such a phenomenal host and I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. And to the listeners, Kelly, what I would say is remember that you are the CEO of your life mm -hmm. and your career, right? You get to decide the direction that it takes. You get to decide if you want a seat at the table and you get to decide what that table looks like. So I just want everybody to know that you're in control and don't forget that. Yes, that's definitely very powerful. And how can people connect with you? And do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to shout out here on the podcast? Absolutely. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, my website is called inspirationcareers.com. And you can connect with me via social media, you can send me an email, or you can even book time with me if you'd like to work together. That sounds great. And I hope a lot of ladies reach out to you. And do you have any social medias as well that people can follow you on? I do. So I'm on Instagram and my Instagram handle is at inspiration underscore prayer, P-R-E-R. -E so that's a great place to reach me and we can DM and have a conversation about how I could possibly support you in getting a seat at the table. Yes, this has been a great conversation with a great co-host and I'd just like to thank you for taking the time to come on the Women in STEM podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. 
Thank you to the amazing guest host speaker. And thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to follow the podcast and to follow me on social media at Kelly underscore engineer on Twitter or Instagram. As well as please make sure to check out our new YouTube channel called Women in STEM Podcast to see our latest episodes visually. Until next time, bye.